When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. with Wings Productions presents The Man with a Storm in His Eyes, a Skylark special miniseries written exclusively for the Skylark Bell podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Oliveri. Happy holidays, dear listeners. I know it's been some time since I released a new episode of the Skylark Bell, but I believe you'll feel it was worth the wait as you listen to what I have in store for you over the next few weeks. Over the Thanksgiving holiday, I spent a few days house and cat-sitting for a friend. The moment I first met Russell the cat, I was completely charmed by the milky cloudiness of his eyes. What fascinated me most was that he appeared to be able to see just fine, to the point where, sometimes, he appeared to be seeing things that I myself couldn't see. I found myself inspired and fully credit Russell with breaking through my writer's block. And so begins the first of four installments of what was supposed to be a short story, but ended up being much longer and far more meaningful than I could ever have imagined. So, dear friends, it is my pleasure to suggest that you get settled in, grab a blanket and a warm drink, and let's get started. I was standing on the brink of the holiday season with nothing but my own company to look forward to. Off work, no family or friends to visit, not enough money to whisk myself away from my mundane life. Things were looking rather bleak. Then I saw the advertisement in my town newspaper. In search of responsible adult to assist elderly man December 22nd to 27th. I stared at the phone number on the listing and let the scenario run through my head. Christmas with a stranger. What could go wrong? I laughed out loud, then dialed the number. I had nothing to lose. Or so I thought. A pleasant woman answered the phone with a jovial, This is Florence. Hello, Florence. My name is Marie. I saw your advertisement in the paper looking for someone to help with an elderly man over the holidays. My voice sounded insecure. I wasn't entirely sure I'd dialed the right number. Ah, yes. Florence's voice took on a more somber tone. 
Our upstairs tenant is quite elderly. My sister and I check in on him daily to help with tidying up and cooking, but we're going out of town for the holidays and don't feel comfortable leaving him alone. I see, I replied, curious about the dynamics of the two sisters and the old man living upstairs. Are you looking for someone to visit a couple of times a day, or... Florence cut in. Well, ideally, we'd love to find someone to stay overnight in our flat, to keep an eye on things, and assist our tenant when necessary. Unfortunately, we can't offer much in the way of financial compensation. But you could help yourself to anything in the fridge or pantry. Both are very well stocked. And we have plenty of books and movies to entertain you. She paused then leaving the static air between us hanging for a moment, before tentatively carrying on. If that sounds agreeable, perhaps we could meet tomorrow for introductions. I thought it was strange she didn't ask me for any references, and that she was so quickly and easily willing to hand over access to both her home and the well-being of an elderly man to a complete stranger. Lucky for her, I was a kind, honest, trustworthy person. We agreed to meet at her flat for lunch the next day. The address was less than a mile from my apartment, very convenient if I needed to zip home for anything. I easily found the two-story row house at the end of a cul-de-sac after following a long stretch of nearly identical brown brick buildings down a hill. My mother had always insisted I should never go to anyone's home without bringing a token of appreciation. So I shifted the bag of pastries I had brought into my left hand and used my free hand to tap the door knocker against the heavy wooden door. I heard the sound reverberate on the other side, followed by a quick succession of echoing footsteps. A moment later, I was standing in a long, dim hallway with a petite woman who appeared to be in her 70s. Her appearance was quite striking, dressed all in black, with chalky white makeup on her face, and garish red lipstick swiped across her mouth like a child's crayon mark on a blank page. Hello, you must be Florence, I asked, noting that she hadn't said a word of welcome to me after opening the door. Her irises and pupils were almost the same color, making her eyes, which were fixated on me, looked like two dark, bottomless pools. This, coupled with her completely static facial expression, began to make me squirm. I shifted nervously from one foot to the other, waiting for her to say something. This is my sister Winifred. She doesn't speak much, came a voice from the room to my left. My gaze quickly shifted to the doorway, where a woman, identical to the one standing next to me, but with a much warmer countenance and more relaxed clothing style, was standing in the doorframe wiping flour from her hands onto a maroon apron. I am Florence, she added, with a warm smile that put me only slightly more at ease. I'm Marie. It's lovely to meet you both. Oh, these are for you, I said, awkwardly handing the bag of pastries to Winifred. The entire situation, identical twins... One apparently mute and very inept at applying makeup. An elderly man upstairs. It was all quite bizarre. And I began to question why I never thought this would be a good idea. Winifred sniffled in acknowledgement, then shuffled away, 
disappearing into the shadows of the endless hallway. Why don't we begin by going upstairs to meet Mr. Holcomb, suggested Florence, gently but purposefully laying a guiding hand on my shoulder and turning me toward the doorway to our left. We walked down a short hallway to a narrow set of wooden stairs leading up to an even narrower door with a brass number seven hanging on it, slightly askew. Florence marched up the stairs ahead of me, the ribbon of her apron bouncing back and forth as she made her way up. I followed closely, preferring the creepy narrow stairs to the company of her creepy sister, Winifred. Mr. Holcomb, it's Florence. I've got the caregiver here with me, shouted Florence through the door. Caregiver? I was surprised to hear her coin the term, as I had never insinuated I had any kind of caregiving experience. We waited a moment, Florence on the tiny landing and me a couple of stairs below her. Slow, shuffling footsteps grew louder on the other side of the door, and the sound of the bolt slipping out of its casing echoed down the stairs behind me. The door creaked loudly as it was pulled open, and Florence walked through. I came up the last few steps and stepped into the flat. The man was already several steps ahead, his back to me as he walked toward the back of the apartment. Florence and I followed him. She more at ease than I by a long shot. The hallway was lined with mirrors streaked with gold, like something straight out of the 1960s. I peered into the adjacent rooms, and each one also appeared frozen in a similar era. We finally arrived at a small kitchen, bright sunlight pouring in through the small window above the sink. It was only then that I realized every other room I had seen had the curtains drawn and was bathed in darkness. The man finally turned to face me, and the sharp intake of my breath caused Florence to put a hand on my arm. Mr. Holcomb can see much more clearly than his appearance would suggest, she leaned in to whisper in my ear. My hearing is quite stellar as well said the man, with no hint of banter in his voice. I stood transfixed. The man's eyes were unlike anything I'd ever seen before. When I was young, our family dog's eyes had become milky as it grew older. But this was something entirely different. The clouds in his eyes weren't static, but rolling, like an impending storm, a mixture of white, gray, and charcoal, I shook my head and cleared my throat. It's lovely to meet you, Mr. Holcomb. My name is Marie. It sounds like we're going to be spending the holidays together. The words were strung together as though someone else was speaking them, the voice coming out of my throat unrecognizable to me. I couldn't believe I was listening to myself agree to stay in a strange building owned by strange sisters to look after a strange man. It felt like I had no control over my body or my mind in that moment. Somehow or other, arrangements were made. It was like an out-of-body experience. And before I knew it, December 22nd arrived, and I found myself standing in front of 51 Dimly Court with an antique key in my hand that had been slipped into my postbox by Florence the day before, along with instructions on how to ensure the furnace was running how to use the antique stove, and how to reach her in case of emergency. 
scribbled in a shaky hand at the bottom of the note, as though added in haste, were words that left me perplexed. Do not drink the tea in the canisters above the cookbooks. It must have been a collection of very rare, expensive teas for it to be their only rule. I decided then and there I would have a cup before my stay was over. I let myself into the flat and slowly made the rounds, exploring every room. Each one was filled top to bottom with knickknacks and antique furniture. Cluttered didn't even begin to describe it. I could tell which space belonged to which sister. The telltale sign in Winifred's room was the dusty black swath of lacy fabric draped across the top of her four-poster bed. Florence's room, on the other hand, featured a vintage floral bedspread with matching curtains. I had already decided to simply sleep on the couch, a luxury I could afford at my age without having to concern myself with stiff joints or a sore back. I found the bathroom and kitchen and immediately thought of the tea. My eyes scanned the space and I saw a shelf lined with cookbooks on the far wall. Above it was another smaller shelf with a set of three glass canisters each filled with loose-leaf teas, one gold, one black, and one purple. Bingo. I reached up to grab the gold canister, but just as my fingers closed around it, I was startled by a crash above my head. My heart raced as I scurried down the hall, through the doorway, and up the narrow stairs to Mr. Holcomb's flat. I knocked on the door and shouted, Mr. Holcomb, it's Marie. Is everything all right? I stood nervously listening to the wave of silence behind the door and almost fell backwards down the stairs when it suddenly creaked open. Mr. Holcomb's silhouette blocked what little light was emanating from the kitchen at the end of the hall. I, I heard a loud crash. Is everything okay? I asked in a shaky voice. Mr. Holcomb nodded and motioned for me to come in. Yes, I do apologize. I'm afraid I sent a houseplant crashing to the floor. Sometimes the greenery and I have disagreements, said the old man. Would you like a cup of tea? I couldn't tell if he was joking about arguing with houseplants. His face seemed to remain expressionless much of the time. But I was surprised by his offer to make me some tea. He hadn't been all that friendly when I'd first met him. I nodded and followed him to the kitchen where he set about preparing tea and a plate of biscuits. If I may ask, Mr. Holcomb, what sorts of tasks does Florence help you with? She wasn't very specific, if I'm being honest. He was sitting across the table from me, and I was finding it rather difficult to focus with those rolling storm cloud eyes. But I decided to simply look at his forehead instead and hoped he wouldn't notice. The truth is, miss, I don't need help with anything at all. But I know it pleases Florence to visit, makes her feel useful. Did she mention she was a nurse during the war? She and her sister both. But that was before we met, he said. We carried on chatting and I found myself surprised at how easy it was to converse with him. By the time we were done, I hardly even noticed his unusual eyes and was happy I had taken on the job after all. Little did I know. 
The next couple of days were uneventful. I spent much of my time reading, napping, and visiting with Mr. Holcomb. He insisted on making us Christmas Eve dinner and handed me a shopping list of ingredients in preparation. Not wanting to arrive empty-handed, I also grabbed ingredients to make dessert. I spent most of Christmas Eve sorting out the antique oven and somehow managed to bake up a decent batch of shortbread. It was my nan's recipe, and I had made it so often I had it memorized. We sat down to a traditional holiday meal and chatted back and forth. I was hoping Mr. Holcomb would touch on how his cloud eyes came to be, but he never broached the subject, and I didn't dare inquire about it. He mentioned being sent to war, but strayed from providing any details of his experience, instead speaking of the bravery and brilliance of nurses like Florence and Winifred, who saved countless lives with very little means. He talked about his childhood Christmases in the poverty-stricken area of the city, and how his mother once saved all the money she could to buy him and his brother each an orange and a mincemeat pie the Christmas after their father had passed away. His stories were like relics of a time gone by, and I soaked them in like a sponge, leaning in to gaze upon every crevice of his weathered face, and eventually getting lost in the swirling mist of his eyes. The conversation flowed naturally, easily, and I found myself rather enjoying Mr. Holcomb's company. But as the night wore on, I noticed he began to shift in his seat and appeared to grow increasingly uncomfortable. Before I knew it, the antique clock in the next room was chiming midnight. Almost simultaneously, a roll of thunder rattled the windows of the tiny kitchen. Oh dear, Mr. Holcomb turned toward the window. It's best that you go, he said, turning back toward me. There was an expression on his face that I couldn't read, and the clouds in his eyes began to roll, not unlike the low-lying swirl of an incoming fog, except they were the color of slate. Yes, it's late. Time flies, I said, a little too loudly, suddenly uncomfortable myself. I began to gather up the dishes as a distraction, Never mind that. You need to go, commanded Mr. Holcomb again, this time with a sharper tone. He abruptly rose from his chair and disappeared down the hall. I quickly placed the dishes on the counter and scrambled after him, but he had already vanished. I tentatively peered into the first room off the hallway. Mr. Holcomb? I spoke into the darkness of the room. My eyes quickly adjusted to the dim light and I saw the room was empty. I could make out a set of built-in bookshelves and large oak desk with a worn brown satchel sat atop it. I took a few steps into the room and noticed a collection of picture frames on the wall and a certificate awarded to Russell J. Holcomb, but I couldn't see what it was for. Through the doorway at the opposite end of the office, I saw Mr. Holcomb in the room across the hall. He was seated in a brown leather wing-back chair, the kind with brass studs around the edges. The sight of him made my breath catch in my throat. He was wearing a blindfold and sitting rod straight and perfectly still, his lips pressed tightly together in concentration. I opened my mouth to ask if he was all right, 
but was cut off by a monstrous clap of thunder and subsequent flickering of the apartment lights. I stood in the hallway, transfixed, like my feet were glued to the floor. Out of nowhere, I heard the front door to Mr. Holcomb's flat creak open of its own accord. That did it. I felt my fear take over the mechanics of my body and quickly scurried toward it. Just as I was about to exit, the phone on the narrow table by the door began to ring. I stopped to stare at it, unsure what to do. I looked down the hall but didn't dare approach Mr. Holcomb, blindfolded and unresponsive in his chair. I tentatively reached down to grab the receiver. It was an old-style phone with a curvy silhouette and a turn dial. I put the phone to my ear and heard a voice come through the static on the other end. It sounded like Florence, but with a deadpan monotonous tone. Go back. Stairs. And door. Um, I'm having trouble hearing you. Would you mind repeating? I hoped my voice carried through the receiver, but I was shaking so much it wasn't quite lined up with my mouth anymore. Go downstairs. Lock. Door. Should have warned ye. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw the shadow of a hand slam down onto the top of the phone, effectively disconnecting the call. I didn't wait to see who or what it was, turned on my heels and raced down the narrow stairs to the sister's flat, closing and locking the door in one swift move. I leaned my back against the door to catch my breath. And only then did it dawn on me whose voice it was on the other end of the line. It had sounded like Florence, but darker. It had to be Winifred. But what was she going on about? I eventually gathered my wits about me and made my way to the sofa. I made a fire in the fireplace, letting its warmth, light, and gentle crackling sounds calm my nerves. I piled a few blankets on top of me and lay staring at the ceiling, wondering what on earth was going on in the flat upstairs. Winifred's voice echoed in my head as I drifted off to sleep. Should have warned you. Thank you so much for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed the first installment of The Man with a Storm in His Eyes. Be sure to check in next week for the next part of the story. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating or a review. They're both greatly appreciated. You can also support my work by subscribing to Patreon. Patreon supporters get early access to ad-free podcast episodes, digital downloads of my music, and so much more. It's the first place I share my creations. However, if you prefer not to subscribe, but would like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so via your podcast platform. Andy and all financial support is greatly appreciated. Once again, thank you for listening. I'm Melissa Oliveri, writer, composer, and producer of the Skylark Bell Podcast. <laughs>